0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Barry Sax Show. I am Barry Cockroft, and I'll be hosting this podcast with guest saxophonists from around the world. We'll be exploring the stories behind these great musicians with telling insights into how they got started and the ongoing development of their careers. Thanks for being here on this adventure, and please subscribe for a new episode every now and again. The details of each episode, including a transcript, The show notes and any links can be found at barrysacks.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Barry Sacks Show. It's been a little while since I've released an episode, but it's great to be back, and I've got some really interesting interviews coming up. For those of you who are already isolated or heading into isolation shortly due to the coronavirus, I wish you all the best and I hope that these interviews can, if nothing else, fill in a quiet moment for you to enjoy hearing from some of the great saxophone players from around the world. Life's intended path is often affected by timing and sudden opportunity. The fortunes of Yolanda Brown, for example, although always driven by her talent, intelligence and facility to get things done, have at crucial moments offered up some unexpected options. As a child, she tried piano, violin, drums, oboe and more before settling on saxophone as the instrument closest to her own musical voice. Later, as an academic, she notched up two master's degrees in operations management, began a PhD and learned Spanish to fluency. Only then did she veer decisively back to music when her part-time gigs as Interval Entertainment on London's comedy circuit... ...blossomed into a first sell-out solo concert... ...at the Mermaid Theatre in Blackfriars, UK. She's christened her 2012 debut recording... ...with characteristic humour, posh reggae. Aside from the awards and tours throughout the world... ...she has hosted her own shows on Sky, BBC Radio 2... ...and for British Airways in-flight entertainment. She's been awarded an honorary doctorate... ...from the University of East London... ...has taken tea with the Queen and Prince Philip and loves to drive fast cars around racetracks in her spare time. Please welcome my guest today, British saxophonist and broadcaster, Yolanda Brown. So Yolanda, thank you very much for coming to my tiny little town here in Australia. Oh,
1: I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. Thank you.
0: (laughs) It's unusual for us to have, uh, other than at the pub, a guitar and a vocalist, to have any musicians visit the town at all ah. so it's been a real privilege to have you come
1: oh i didn't know that but no we've been welcomed with uh, with open arms and it's been wonderful to do a workshop to start off with and then share our music with the school it was really really good and everyone was getting involved which is what i like very
0: good and you're obviously on tour around australia yes so you must be pretty busy with that and I'm, i've been a bit curious because obviously on the news uh travel is getting questioned a bit it now yes how, how, how are you feeling
1: you know i'm um, taking it in my stride if that's possible is I think it's very easy not just coronavirus but with everything else that's going on in the world it's very easy to sort of get your heart going and start feeling fear and I think you just have to trust that I'm meant to be here I'm meant to meet you I'm meant to be in Apollo Bay be at the festivals and you know um, have faith so I, I trust that I'll be safe <laughs> and my family too.
0: As musicians, we rarely get to play in the one place. Yeah. We're always moving somewhere else. And yeah. My theory is that once someone's heard us, they don't want to hear us again, so we have to go get somewhere the else. To the
1: next, they'll never see us again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, something that's fascinating for me about your development mm. really is I, I can't decide whether you've done things backwards or if everyone else has done things backwards because you've come to music after studying other things. Yes. And you've developed your career sort of by getting the gig and then working towards it. Exactly. And I think that's fascinating and also I think we can learn a lot from that. Right. Because the mentality that I see a lot is practice, 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 get as good as possible and then maybe, maybe, maybe we can play music. Yes. And that could be 10, 15 years of work and I, I really question that because... Not many people make it through. Yeah, and it seems from what I've heard of you that you've done things very differently, and perhaps you could describe.
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah, I thought 15 years ago I was going to be a management consultant, <laughs> and I was studying a PhD in operations research at the University of Kent in in England, and I. I always had music. I'd played the piano from the age of six, um, went onto the violin, the drums, and found the saxophone when I was 13. And before that, I had a very traditional musical upbringing. So, you know, as you say, practice, practice, grades, 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 um, some recitals, but it really was about the lessons, practice, do an exam, move on to the next one. And at 13, I asked my parents if I could play the saxophone. And uh, the, the school gave me the saxophone over a, a Christmas holidays. So I learned to put it together, knowing I was going to start my lessons in the January. Learned to put it together, started playing along with the radio, work out some Christmas carols, made my way through the book. I played Pink Panther at the end, Ooh. a bit of a Gershwin <laughs> at the end of the book. And um, so when I started the lessons in the January, I went to the class and the teacher said, right, we're going to start page one. This is B. I said, actually, look what I can do. And I love playing along with this track. My dad has a vinyl at home. Let me show you. And it was almost like the teacher went blank. <laughs> it's like, this is not what we were taught <laughs> about teaching music. So she said, okay, that's great. So you, you could do grade five then, she, like straight away back to grades. So I did that, passed and uh, got back to the lessons. And she said, right, um, now that you are going to carry on, you need to have grade five theory. This is following the English uh, exam system. Uh, so we're going to stop playing the saxophone in the lessons and do the theory exams until we can take grade six. And I said, this doesn't make any sense. Over a Christmas holiday, I had so much joy of just playing for myself in the room, improvising. I didn't know I was improvising at the time, but just finding tunes, finding notes, how they fit together, how it made me feel. And none of that was being reciprocated in the lesson. And so I decided to stop learning <laughs> with the with stop learning traditionally and play for myself. Um, And music was always a hobby. So it wasn't that I was thinking I was losing out on anything. In fact, I thought I was gaining. I was able to play my feelings, express myself the way I wanted to with the instrument. Um, And I never really saw it as a career. I don't think I'd ever been exposed to seeing uh, a musician come into my school like I've just done here at Apollo Bay and do a, a workshop or, you know, show what it would mean to travel the world or, you know, music is, is a, as a career. It was always a hobby. And uh, over a, a holiday between, while well, doing my PhD, so we fast forwarded quite a lot, um, I always had the saxophone. My parents bought me the saxophone, which was great, so I could take it with me to university, but it was a way to go to a jam session and meet people. It was never never for for studying you know and then I met a a band during a Christmas uh, sorry during the summer holidays while I was doing my PhD and um joined the horn section and over the summer we played some festivals around London and I thought this is really cool I could do this I I could wake up every day and play the saxophone this feels good but then feeling limited is, is a difficult word but Hearing things that I wanted to play, but couldn't quite do it, because technique is one thing that I had skipped. <laughs> I was playing, um, and technique was something that I just was picking up, you know, um, almost like driving with bad habits. I always like to say, you know you should be driving with your hands at ten to two like on the clock, whereas instead I was just doing what I felt, and the manager then said to me, you know. I can manage you as a solo artist. There's definitely something here when, when you're playing, people are really enjoying <laughs> enjoying the interaction. And so then we made the conscious effort to start building a Yolanda Brown brand. And um, of course, then I haven't come through a conservatoire. I don't know the music industry. I don't know anybody in the music industry. We don't know booking agents. We don't know anything. And so we've had to grow an audience organically. And so that was uh, 2007. We booked... The Mermaid Theatre in Blackfriars, London. It's like a seven hundred capacity theatre, and I'd been playing sort of variety shows, if I can put it that way, comedy shows. I'd be the musical interlude and sort of really building up an audience that way and letting them know that I had this concert coming up, and it sold out. And we thought, wow, it's an audience here. <laughs> Let's try nine hundred seater and see what happens and um so a couple of months later we booked Cadogan Hall in Sloan Square so wonderful we're talking about acoustics and um, with this beautiful room we're in here but in Cadogan Hall it's a beautiful place to play and um 900 people turned up and again you just think there's something here you know and bit by bit started building an audience and it's not easy it's it's organic it's it's different yes as you say because it's not coming through the traditional channels. We don't have a booking agent or a promoter that's pushing. We did everything ourselves. But at the same time, in this day and age with social media, um, back then I think all we had was MySpace. <laughs> you can actually then speak to your audience directly and let them know where you are. And sort of 15 years later, keeping on being an independent artist, making my own music, recording my own music and just trying to shout as loud as possible from the rooftops um, that I'm here. It's something different. Um, It's the style of music that feels natural to me. And for me, music is about communicating. And so I just want to be able to communicate with an audience that wants to hear it. And luckily enough, it's it's been growing and growing and I'm really enjoying it.
0: I did see on social media you have a large following. (laughs) Now, you're not the first Brown I've had on this podcast because I've talked with Derek Brown in the States and we had a lengthy conversation about building brand and identity, uh, particularly through social media channels, in Derek's case, particularly through YouTube. How important has this aspect of building your identity been um, through not just through music, but through the platforms that we have available.
1: I think it's important to stay connected. You know, um, now with social media, the world is becoming a smaller place. So I I was speaking to people in Australia before I'd ever played in Australia. People were able to see the clips that I was putting on social media um, in different countries before I'd ever played there. So when we're setting off on tour, you can easily tell them, Okay, people from Melbourne that I've been speaking to for six years, finally I'm coming to you. And it's really great because I sign CDs at the end of every show. And actually, you're having conversations. People that are coming to get the merchandise signed or to meet you. It's a deeper thing of, I enjoyed the show, thank you so much for coming. It's like, oh, I saw when you posted about this, and how's this going, and how's the presenting? How's the TV show going? You're having a really in-depth conversation, and I guess you feel that the audience know you a bit better.
0: Are you surprised sometimes what people know about you?
1: Yes. I think I am also very wary of social media. So for me, I like to communicate what I want to communicate and I I hold on very closely to my privacy. So I wouldn't necessarily post about family or what I'm eating. (laughs) You know, that's not how I choose to use social media. And I understand that when you do, you do get more followers because people do want to see the inside of your life, but at the same time, when you want to close that door, you don't always have the option. So, um, so yeah, so I am quite private in terms of my private life, but of course sharing where we are, what we're doing in different places around the world. That's sometimes the only way some people get to see it. Um, having a TV show and showing what's behind the scenes and, you know, where the cameras are and things like that. Some people have never been to a TV studio. So that's lovely. And so, so the conversations do direct towards my work and my career. But it is lovely to know that people see what I'm doing on on a day-to-day basis.
0: I've been really interested lately in this idea of the reclusive musician Mm. because I think musicians need some peace and quiet to work on their craft and it's this irony of you have to have some time alone before you can stand in, hundred, in front sure. of hundreds of people. Sure. So you've got this dual character where you need alone time, but you also need this very public yeah. uh, persona where people are following you and, and essentially paying you as well. Yeah. It's an important part of it. Like for me, it's very important to turn off things. If mm. I'm working on some music, I don't really want some interruptions. It's hard enough to find a bit of time that's quiet <laughs> anyway. So turn things off. Uh, how do you approach uh, your involvement with that?
1: For me, it's having a work me and a home me. Mm. Uh, And in music, there is a work me and a home me too. Uh, As I say, my sort of journey in learning the saxophone and learning my voice has been the reclusive person anyway, because that's been me in my room playing my emotion or transcribing very very rarely, but transcribing a solo or playing along to a song that I like that is my alone time. I don't necessarily put that on the stage. Um, and the same with social media. I I have a family, I have two daughters. I've got a seven week old and a six, (laughs) six year old. Um, and so that's my, my home and a husband, of course. (laughs) And you know, that's my home time. And I think it's important to have, have that balance. We call it work-life balance, don't we? And, That it's the same in music you you have the music that you create for others to enjoy and to to be involved with and to interpret but you can also have a music time that is for you um where you're trying out something new or just looking out of a beautiful window like here playing towards the sea and whatever comes out comes out it's not recorded it's not it's not going to be used for anything it's just for that moment and if you can have both of those i think you can maintain quite a a happy existence is when they bleed into each other or you lose one.
0: That, yeah. I got to hear you play this morning, <laughs> uh, live, which is wonderful. And it seemed to me that although you're improvising, that seems too formal a term, <laughs> it seems exactly that you're playing what you feel like. Yes. And I, that seems different. Improvisation sounds like something you would go and do. Yes. Whereas playing how you feel, something you might express. Sure. And not. I like the way that you just weave the ideas that come to you into what you're playing at the time. Is that, would you say that's your style? Is that your thing?
1: I think it is, yeah. I think I see the saxophone as my voice. Um, Having said about the instruments that I played or was introduced to growing up, the piano, the drums, the violin, playing the saxophone, the only distinguishable feeling I could ascertain was that everything I was playing on, I was playing on the piano and I had to find the room where the piano was and make sure that I had that time and I had to leave it when you know, someone else wanted to play or was being called for dinner or something like that. The same with the drums. Oh, you can't play at this time or you have to go to the drum room or have to be at home. Whereas the saxophone, it was portable for a start. That was new for me. I had to use my wind to, to make a sound and then it instantly mm-hmm. became a voice. And so I think I've always played in a way the lyrics are in my head, but the, the sound and the, the notes that come out are what I would be saying. So it wouldn't necessarily sound like an improvised solo, but it's me speaking, you know? Um, and I guess, yeah, that is my style. And it's something that in workshops, I like to try with musicians because we are taught formulaically how to play music. It's this chord and you can play these notes and then you can mix it with this. But actually, what if you just wanted to make a squeak? It, that, there is no notation for that. <laughs> you know, what if you just, Wanted to play a subtone, just have the sound of air for a moment in a solo. How do we, how do we express that when, when we're taught? There's no, there's no reason why that can't be part of the music. And so for me, that, that, that is the style that I taught myself, I guess, and how I, how I, the sound that came out when I play the saxophone. And that's what I try to recreate, especially for, this beginner level that I met today for example they'd had one lesson they've brought me over from England to do a workshop for an hour with 25 children that have only had the instrument for one lesson some haven't even played it yet but there's no reason why we can't make music together and by the end of it they were doing trills they were they were playing whatever they felt they might not know the names of the notes but the sound that they were making was joyful. They felt that they were putting a stamp onto the, the bass that the band was playing. They got to play with the band, you know? And for me, that is making music because you can inhibit that sometimes when it's like, well, you can't play with the band just yet. You're not quite ready. Let's, you know, let's go and play B for, for 25 minutes. And I think there are different ways to learn. And it was wonderful to see them trying something new and putting themselves out
0: there. Do you think your own experience of being held back a little bit by your first teacher uh, or being held back so much but has been sort of funnelled Mm. into a traditional model, how do we balance the structure of traditional learning with the freedom of creativity? And would you have anything to say to teachers what should they do when a student comes along who who needs that bit of space.
1: Exactly. And that's exactly it. You've, you've hit the nail on the head. Some people do respond better to a traditional sense of music making. But when a student comes along that you can see is outside of that remit or sort of the, the joy leaves their eyes when you start saying, let's play this scale. I think it's important to balance both because you do need the technique and you do need the discipline and you do need that traditional form of, of music making that basis, the tools to be able to express yourself. Cause there are times when I have to go back and research something because I can hear it in my mind is something I want to say, but my fingers won't do it or my embouchure won't do it or whatever. So we need to have a balance of both. And I think for the teacher's, I speak a lot at teaching conferences, especially for music, and we always have to tap back into what brought us to music in the first place, what made us fall in love with music in the first place. And many times it can be, you know, imagine your most joyful moments listening to music could be at a wedding. It could be when you were doing your first dance, or it could have been when you were playing in in an orchestra. But when you get back to the passion and the joy that you had in music, it will allow you to sort of go off course go off peace for a little bit because you know that the the main lesson learning is happening i think that with teachers they're worried about am i have i ticked off everything that's meant to be happening in the syllabus or you know have i gone through every single page and done done it in the exact order that they've prescribed today we were learning staccato you know um in a book there might be some exercises you play follow, these tunes and follow this notation but why can't we go outside for a minute with our instruments and pretend that we're frogs sleeping across a river with a set of 10 year olds who are just picking up their instrument they will always remember that you know not saying that I think it's just finding diverse ways to learn also keeps our young people engaged and keeps beginners who are who are trying to (laughs) reach out for those wonderful sounds that they've heard and have inspired them to stay engaged because it's music is not always easy you know there are times when you have to push through there are times when you have to try different things to learn it you might have to change your equipment or whatever so to make it fun for a moment would keep them engaged and I think that when I look back now to my lessons if there was at least one lesson a month where it was like this is jam time you know, we're going to do all the normal stuff, but this, in this lesson you can dictate what you want to do or I'm going to bring in a drummer and you just jam along for half an hour. Maybe I would have stayed. I don't know. But you do have to sort of tailor, I think, tailor music making to the individual.
0: The UK is responsible for something like half of the world's music exams. Is there space in, in the UK for what you're talking about, or is it a really dominant system that doesn't leave much room to move?
1: I believe so, and I think that we're in a time now where we're understanding that people work in different ways. I think that's another thing. You can't just teach one way and expect everybody to go down that route, and now there are different ways to learn. There are different organisations you can join, different groups that you could learn from, Um, so I no I, I have faith. I believe I believe that uh, I believe that, that there will be a time where you know people can learn in different ways there are jazz grades now not just classical grades you know. Um, so we're moving towards a time where yeah different different needs are catered to. I
0: guess the other development too is the inclusion of improvisation inside of yeah. a formal exam. Yeah. That's interesting. Is does it belong there or is improvisation really something that should be done spontaneously with people
1: yeah it's a hard one that was always a, a question i had you know even when we used to write poetry growing up how do you judge a piece of poetry unless you're told you need to write this in rhyming cu- couplets or you need to you know write it in stanzas or four lines you know if you're given a a set directive of how you're meant to do something then you can judge it but if it's just write a poem someone could write tree full stop and that could be a worldwide poem <laughs> that could be an award-winning poem but you might get an f for that on a gcse <laughs> so i think there are it, it's it's quite hard to grade improvisation unless you're saying this is this chord structure and i want you to follow it uh it, it it's hard to grade improvisation i think if you're talking about expression we're talking about traditional improvisation, then, of course, um, but expression is, is a different thing, and I think it's quite hard to.
0: to and perhaps we don't have the right to judge or assess someone's creative yeah. efforts like that.
1: Yeah, and I think we we are living in in a world where there's so many different types of people, different backgrounds, different lived experiences, and you can choose where you want to hear music. So, you know if something's not jazz enough or something's not bluesy enough or not classical enough, it's fine. But there might be an audience for that and let that audience enjoy it. You know, if we're talking about industry and there is space, I believe for every, every music maker, because you will find an audience that likes to hear it. And that's
0: the audience that you play to. Now you've got uh, a band touring with you a wonderful band and i noticed on stage you interact a lot with the different musicians um often individually you'll take it in turns work (laughs) your way around is that to to highlight them or is it to give you something to feed off i mean what's your approach with that
1: um so for the performance we just did i think i did it more for the students to hear all of the instruments uh so in a concert of course it's based in jazz as well everyone will get a solo um or if a song feels like oh, i needs a piano solo then i'll point the finger of doom at, <laughs> at my piano player and he'll take off uh so yeah it, it was a lot more concentrated um what you saw at the school but i think it is important because we have our set list but actually what we've been through that day traveling for four hours on the road to melbourne or um i don't know turned on the news and heard that there's the outbreak is even worse will we be living in Sydney for for the next couple of weeks all of those things come out in our music so whether when we play the head of the song I can feel I can kind of I can feel the energy of the band and somebody might have something to say Rick on bass might have something to say so say it you know and I think that's when no two shows are the same even though we have our set list, even though we have the album repertoire to play, no two shows are the same. We have an audience that are coming for that particular event and it's nice. And actually it helps me because I, when I meet people at the end, they say, this is my sixth show this year. And I'm like, oh God, I don't think I changed up the set list that much. (laughs) But for them... The show is different every time because everybody's got something different to say. Everybody's going through something different. Um, so it's nice that way. It, it's nice that everyone should get their, their moment
0: to, to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you've branched out into other forms of media besides yeah. playing the saxophone. <laughs> How important has that been, one, to your profile as a mm-hmm. musician, mm-hmm. but perhaps the other way around as well? Yeah. Um, does your saxophone playing affect your TV personality and your following?
1: Yes, I guess the saxophone playing got me the jobs in the first place, which is, is, is wonderful to know because I never saw it, as I say, as a, as a career. So the fact that becoming a musician and choosing to go full time as a full time musician, uh, has birthed all these other careers has been, has been great to know. I guess as well, unprecedented because I don't know I wasn't following anybody else's path. Like, okay, I'm going to become a jazz musician. And then that's going to lead to that. That leads to that. <laughs> and we're just rolling with it. So even, you know, playing at the proms, for example, in, in London. And, uh, the film crew came and said they wanted me to film a short VT, uh, about the art of promming. And this had nothing to do with saxophone playing. I thought, well, do I take my saxophone with me? No, nope. Leave that at home. This is a presenting job. And I did that. I really enjoyed it. Just, I guess, communicating in a similar way as I would on the saxophone with an audience, but through speech, Uh, something I haven't had to do before. I do speak a lot on stage, though, and I I like to explain to an audience what the song's about, where I'm going to be going with it, and then follow me because I have no words. (laughs) Uh, So it was nice to be able to speak down down the lens. And from that, this whole broadcast career has just blossomed. And I love it. I really do. Um, From presenting... TV shows uh, like Gospel Choir of the Year or Young Jazz Musician for the BBC and through to getting my own TV show for children. Um, And it's wonderful, actually, that those two worlds collide because it's a music-based show uh, for preschool um, age and, and upwards. And to be able to present and speak and show passion and joy for other people's music making, but also be able to make music myself. I play the saxophone on the show, have a house band and um, we have a special guest come and join us. So the person could play any instruments. We've had the sitar, the harmonica, um, through to traditional instruments, the piano, violin, drums, the didgeridoo we've had. <laughs> uh, and it's lovely to be able to give back. As you know, I, I do workshops wherever I go. So it's lovely to be able to do that through the TV screen. And of course, reach more people
0: by, by doing that. Now, I've got a few rapid-fire questions that yes. i love to ask everybody because mm. everyone's got a different way of answering the same <laughs> question. So is there anything that you believe that other people disagree with? Ooh. Oh, goodness.
1: <laughs> this is meant to be quite fire. That <laughs> um, other people disagree with?
0: Well, I'm, I'm thinking musically. But, oh, musically. Know, yeah.
1: Oh, right, this is musically, okay. <laughs> well, I, I believe that... It's kind of on the statement you said, yes, you should continue to build yourself, practice, practice, but I believe that you should share along your way, along the way. And that goes into, my, into life as well. You don't have to wait to be a multimillionaire to give back. You can give back along the way. Um, so I think music is about sharing. We are creatives. Share with the audience along the way.
0: All right. If you could only play one piece from now on, which piece would that be?
1: Ooh. That's an interesting one because I never think of music in pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think of it as it could be a long improvised piece. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say summertime actually
0: and with many interpretations. (laughs) As you demonstrated uh, before. (laughs) If you just had one hour to practice, how would you spend your time?
1: One hour to practice? If I was here in this room, it also depends where I am, actually, yeah. uh, because practice is always different depending on where you are. Uh, if I was here and looking at the ocean, I'd probably start with some long notes just <laughs> to get some nice, calming breaths out. Um, I don't know. If I only had one hour, I'd just play what I felt. Yeah. I, I wouldn't stress yeah. on making. So it'd it be improvised. It would be improvised. Yeah. yeah okay.
0: Now, if we learn from our mistakes, is it okay to make mistakes?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and if you believe in jazz, none of it was ever a mistake.
0: (laughs) Before you walk onto stage, is there anything that you do personally Mm. that will help you to perform at your best?
1: Mm. Take a deep breath. Mm? Uh, Take a deep breath and don't think about anything else because I find that everything is so subjective. Who's in the front row? Oggling at you can change if you're thinking about that can change how you play. As you know, I play with amplification mostly because we play in uh, concert halls or festivals or whatever. So the sound might have changed. My ears might have changed depending on how long I've had to, to prepare. So it's just take a deep breath, knowing that whatever when you go out there it might be totally different,
0: but be in the moment being on tour I guess you're seeing a lot of different situations mm-hmm. all the time what's the most unusual situation you've come across while you've been playing
1: I love these questions
0: and sorry to cut you but <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know these questions are when when it happened when something like that happened I thought someone's gonna ask me about this one day I think the thing that I love most i probably changing the question a bit but I love when an audience member I can see everybody in the audience and I can see audience members that aren't quite converted yet mm. they're thinking yeah she doesn't really play jazz and she, I don't really get it what is the, what, but I'm here anyway because my wife has dragged me <laughs> and then by sort of song three when their faces start to change and they relax into it and they think I, I like this and then by the last song they're up and dancing and singing <laughs> I think that transition is a lovely thing
0: that I love to see resistance is futile
1: this is it this is it <laughs>
0: Now, looking back, is there a piece of advice you could give your younger self that you would have loved to have heard?
1: Yeah, I think I would have just stayed with my teacher <laughs> because everything that I've done, I've, of course, I never thought I would be a musician, so it was always a hobby and I could just play what I wanted. It's a hobby. There's no pressure. Now that it's a career, um, I think I, I could have always learnt the way that I could have taught myself the way I've taught myself and still stayed in the traditional music making. It doesn't have to be either or, and that's what I'm telling students now. It doesn't have to be either or. Do what you're doing and then on the outside, if, it, if it's not embraced where you are, either move somewhere else or do it in your spare time. There's, there's enough time to go around.
0: Do you think it takes a student with a lot of individuality and Um, self-belief, to be able to question, you know, the authority of their teachers like that.
1: Maybe there is. I think all musicians do.
0: Yeah. That's what a musician is. Yeah, yeah.
1: When a musician, and I'm talking about a performing musician that cuts through, they are that because they've decided to go against all the odds. Otherwise, we'd all be playing the same piece of music. You know, I I was, my, my dad had promoted some concerts in Spain and he bought Michelle Camilo over to to play in the national theater and i remember him saying to me practice all that you can now because when you start touring you don't get that freedom and it washed over my head you know but actually you can do when when you're in the midst of learning so to speak you can do whatever you want you you can go to a lesson have the lesson as the lesson is planned and outside do make whatever music you want to make and learn from both you know uh, so, yeah, I think there's space for both.
0: I have to ask you this because I think you kind of exemplify this mm. idea. Do you have something that you could advise other saxophone players as to how they can differentiate themselves? Yes. Because um, I come from a classical music background and there's a certain sort of generic uh, playing that we all share mm. and then to actually differentiate yourself and be different and unique and attract yes. an audience is the big question. Is there anything that you've found or you could advise to people developing that could help them stand mm. out from the crowd?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when I was studying management science before that I was studying business and when you think of a product and it's so strange to think of yourself that way but if, if your dream is to become a touring musician in your own right and, um, and be the headliner of, of your brand, you have to start thinking of yourself as a product. And it's the weirdest thing because we're creatives. You know, we, we're we talking about making music and 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 making it the best piece of music it can be. But for the consumer, sometimes they don't care, which is a really horrible thing to say, but I'm going to tell you the truth. They don't care how many hours you practiced. They want a product that they can buy into. They know what they're going to get and they can enjoy it. Be it classical, be it jazz, be it whatever. So you have to find your unique selling point. You know, I, I met a wonderful young classical saxophonist in, in London recently. And he was saying to me, "You know, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get the purest sound I can get. And I said, that's fantastic. What's your dream? He said, I want to be a touring musician. I want to play in all the concert halls around the world. Um, so I said, okay. And he said, I've got to get this pure sound first. I said, well, if you stay home and try and get that pure sound, life is going to pass you by. And there's no reason why you cannot tour and still find the the purest sound on your days off, (laughs) if that's what you want to do. So what is your unique selling point then? You know, and he had, he had a wonderful, unique selling point in the fact that of his age, number one, of the repertoire that he played and the people that he played for. Um, and he could, he could brand himself up in, in a way. And we do have to put our business heads on. It's called the music business for a reason. There's a business side to it. And it feels crude sometimes. And, you know, now I have have a wonderful team around me from managers to booking agents. And if we're in a planning meeting, I'm talking about Yolanda Brown with a capital D. I'm not taking any offence. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about the brand. But then when I go home, I get to practice and they're not involved in any of that. So I think my my words of advice is, Yes, the music is important. Your sound is important. The practice is important. But as much time and energy that you spent on that is the same amount, if not more time, you need to spend on creating a product and a brand and a persona that an audience would want to buy into. Why would they want to buy tickets to your show? If they haven't seen how many hours you practice, that's not, that's not what they're seeing. They're seeing a poster. They're seeing interviews. They're seeing your personality and your persona. And how do you get that across to them as
0: quickly as possible? It's great advice. Thank and you. And Yolanda, thank you very much for taking some time out of your busy touring oh, not schedule. At
1: all. I can speak and, to you all day. It's
0: beautiful here. And uh, I might go to the beach this afternoon. The I sun think is finally should. Out. The sun is
1: shining. The waves are lapping up. It's absolutely beautiful. Oh, no. Thank you so much for great. having me.
0: Thank you. Just before you go, a quick reminder to let you know that show notes, any links, and a full text transcript are also available. It would mean a lot to me if you could leave a review for the show by visiting barrysax.com forward slash iTunes. You can subscribe for a new episode each week. And thanks again for joining me and my guests on the Barry Sax Show.